Hi everyone, Matt here. The current book we're reading is Peter Pan and we started it in episode 15. So if you haven't been listening to the podcast so far, I suggest going back to episode 15 so that you know what's going on. If you're brand new to the podcast, I'd say go back to episode two where we read Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and you can binge all the way from there. Thanks. and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. I'm David Cox. And I'm Josh Matheson. I love the professional radio <laughs> voice after you completely missing your cue last week. I want, ev- I, I want, I want everyone to remember that I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and with that slight professional lean against the counter you did as well, yeah, which I really enjoyed. Mm. Yeah. So in presenter voice, people just lost all their trust last week as if they had any to start with. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, we, we held you. We held you in such a high sort of esteem that since you've I don't done think that, that ever happened. I think everyone knows that this is a purely amateur affair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no professionals present apart from Josh with his readings. Oh, I don't know. Anytime I listen back, I probably reckon one out of five things I say is insightful <laughs> and useful to people. <laughs> but if the other four out of five just make us chuckle, it's still worthwhile. True. But this week we're looking at chapter 16 of Peter Pan, which is, I've already forgotten the title, even though you reminded me just before we start recording. Come on, the Matt. Journey, the Return Home. The journey, of it, the return home. The return home. I can't believe literally, what, five minutes has passed and I've already forgotten yep. it. It's not the most kind of catchy title, really, is it? It's quite. I know what's going to happen. It's very business. It's very business minded. But uh, just a reminder of what happened last week. We had Peter Pan storming the pirate ship and kind of holding up yeah. in one of the cabins and killing the pirates one by one as they walked in, which was actually very tense. There was a lot of excitement in the chapter last time. So good. Where the pirates yeah. weren't sure what was going on and they were kind of waiting to find out or just. I don't know, Hook was even a little bit scared as to what was going on. But then obviously it was all revealed that it was Peter dressed as Wendy, then kind of starts storming the pirate ship and a big fight ensued. And probably the most significant thing that happened was that Hook's dead. He's gone. No more Stuart King, fabulous Jamaican man anymore. He is an ex-pirate. If you just tuned in for chapter 16 of Peter Pan, really sorry for that massive spoiler <laughs> I just gave you. I don't think anyone <laughs> thinks that Hook wins in the end. You probably didn't realise he died because no. in the Disney cartoon, they just he exits just running across the water with the crocodile snapping at his heels. He gets chased into the sunset. Yeah, yeah you, don't, you don't actually see him get gobbled up, whereas the book was quite explicit that he's been eaten. Mmm. Kind of interested to see what happens in the next kind of couple of chapters. I feel like it's just going to be dotting the I's and crossing the T's, to be honest, yeah. because the main adversary of Peter Pan's now gone. And it even said most of the pirates are dead and those who aren't have started a new life. Yeah. Selling upholstery or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that turns. wasn't right. We made that up. <laughs> it might be interesting to see who goes home, like whether there's yes. more than the ones that came or whether... In, in in this original version, you know, suddenly yeah. Mike goes, actually, I want to stay here. Right, so we dive in then and see what's in store for us. Dive yeah, away. Yeah, all right then. Let's do it. Chapter 16, The Return Home. 
By three bells that morning, they were all stirring their stumps, legs, for there was a big sea running, and Tootles, the boatswain, was among them, with a rope's end in his hand and chewing tobacco. What does stirring your stumps mean? I think it just means, it's a phrase for like, you know, uh, waking up. Oh, okay. Stirring is in like rousing, like... Okay. I imagine like a wooden peg leg in a bucket, like stirring. Well, that's what I was. Th- I was imagining like <laughs> oh. a guy like just kind of like doing his leg in circles for some reason. I don't. Yeah, work if out Captain Hook was still alive, he could have done a, a whisk attachment for his hook instead. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have batter in no time, lads. <laughs> I know he didn't do that voice, but they all donned pirate clothes, cut off at the knee, shaved smartly, and tumbled up with the true nautical roll and hitching their trousers. It need not be said who was the captain. Nibs and John were first and second mate. There was a woman aboard. The rest were tars, sailors, before the mast, and lived in the forecastle. Peter had already lashed himself to the wheel, but he piped all hands and delivered a short address to them said he hoped they would do their duty like gallant hearties, but that he knew they were the scum of Rio and the Gold Coast, and if they snapped at him, he would tear them. The bluff strident words struck the note sailors understood, and they cheered him lustily. Then a few sharp orders were given, and they turned the ship round and nosed her for the mainland. I find it amazing that they've managed to steer this ship because looking at like Pirates of the Caribbean and stuff, steering those things doesn't look that easy. No. I mean, I've tried Very to do true. a little sailing boat on the reservoir before and just ended up keep hitting myself in the head with the boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can imagine that. Yeah, I was rubbish. Captain Pan calculated, after consulting the ship's chart, that if this weather lasted, they should strike the Azores about the 21st of June, after which it would save time to fly. Some of them wanted it to be an honest ship, and others were in favour of keeping it a pirate. But the captain treated them as dogs, and they dared not express their wishes to him, even in a round robin, one person after another, as they had to Captain Hook. Instant obedience was the only safe thing, Slightly got a dozen for looking perplexed when told to take soundings. The general feeling was that Peter was honest just now to lull Wendy's suspicions, but there might be a change when the new suit was ready, which, against her will, she was making for him out of some of Hook's wickedest garments. It was afterwards whispered among them that on the first night he wore this suit, he sat long in the cabin with Hook's cigar holder in his mouth, and one hand clenched all but for the forefinger, which he bent and held threateningly aloft like a hook. <laughs> He's deranged. He's just they're pretending to be hook. I love the description as well that Wendy's working against her will to like alter these clothes for him. It's like, it's like just forced her into the sweatshop in the galley of the boat or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty weird though. I don't know why you'd why you'd sort of dress up like your mortal enemy. It's like Harry Potter going to a Halloween party as Lord Voldemort. Like, why would you do that? I'd love that. Harry Potter 8. <laughs> that would be great, actually. That's like, a, a, a dark choice from him. Yeah. But not even just going to a Halloween party dressed as him, assimilating his life. Yeah. He's like move, moving into Voldemort's house and like taking over his crew. It would be, it'd be that equivalent. Instead of watching the ship, however... 
we must now return to that desolate home from which three of our characters had taken heartless flight so long ago. It seems a shame to have neglected number 14 all this time, and yet we may be sure that Mrs. Darling does not blame us. If we had returned sooner to look with sorrowful sympathy at her, she would probably have cried, Don't be silly. What do I matter? Do go back and keep an eye on the children. So long as mothers are like this, their children will take advantage of them, and they may lay to bet on that. Even now we venture into that familiar nursery only because its lawful occupants are on their way home. We are merely hurrying on in advance of them to see that their beds are properly aired and that Mr and Mrs Darling do not go out for the evening. We are no more than servants. Why on earth should their beds be properly aired, seeing that they left them in such a thankless hurry? Would it not serve them jolly well right if they came back and found that their parents were spending the weekend in the country? It would be the moral lesson they have been in need of ever since we met them. But if we contrived things in this way, Mrs. Darling would never forgive us. One thing I should like to do immensely, and that is to tell her, in the way authors have, that the children are coming back, that indeed they will be here on Thursday week. This would spoil so completely the surprise to which Wendy and John and Michael are looking forward. They have been planning it out on the ship. Mother's rapture, father's shout of joy, Nana's leap through the air to embrace them first, <laughs> when what they ought to be prepared for is a good hiding. And the inevitable chains that came when the children <laughs> said they couldn't run away. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're never leaving that nursery again. How delicious to spoil it all by breaking the news in advance, so that when they enter grandly, Mrs. Darling may not even offer Wendy her mouth, and Mr. Darling may exclaim pettishly, Dash it all, here are those boys again. However, we should get no thanks even for this. We are beginning to know Mrs. Darling by this time, and may be sure that she would upbraid us for depriving the children of their little pleasure. But, my dear madam, it's ten days till Thursday week, so that by telling you what's what, we can save you ten days of unhappiness. That doesn't seem like a darling. I think it's the narrator. It seems like it? No, it seems to be the narrator talking Yeah, but it's in speech her. marks. Why is it? Yeah, well, that's what I mean. It's weird. It's like He's Barry's himself inserted character. himself. Yeah. How bizarre. That's so And given himself like actual like quotation mark speech. Um, this is weird. If it's the narrator, just make him like Etonian or something like that. Do you know, making me. Can you do a Boris Johnson impression? Yes, 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 yes. Do that, do that. You've got to put. You're allowed to add, like, you know, into the sentence. Yeah. With laugh. Because he can't, <laughs> he can't, he can't do a sort of full full sentence without like pausing for thought no. or stuttering or making a mockery of himself. Yeah, I'm not sure sure this is going to be an accurate impression. Don't put me on spitting nah. image, but we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, but but uh, you know, my dear madam, it, it is days <laughs> till Thursday week. Uh, so so that by by telling you what's what, yeah, you know, we we can save you ten days of unhappiness, you know. Not, I don't I really know it was literally that. like one of the it. official like live at Downing Streets. It was at six o'clock. Like he's trying to say something really important. But how appalling that we've become so accustomed to that being like 
the way that news is officially told to us from the government. Mm. That rambling nonsense is how yeah. we're used <laughs> to being spoken to. <laughs> Yay. Yes, but at what cost by depriving the children of 10 minutes of delight? Oh, if you look at it in that way, you know. <laughs> what other way is there in which to look at it? You see, the woman had no proper spirit. I had meant to say extraordinarily nice things about her, but I despise her, and not one of them will I say now. She does not really need to be told to have things ready, for they are ready. All the beds are aired, and she never leaves the house, and observe the window is open. For all the use we are to her, we might well go back to the ship. However, as we are here, we may as well stay and look on. That is all we are, lookers-on. Nobody really wants us. So let us watch and say jaggy things, in the hope that some of them will hurt. <laughs> What? Basically, it's just like we're gonna watch and judge people because it's fun. <laughs> I mean, I agree. So weird. <laughs> it's true. That's we, why people watching is fun because you judge be fair, people as they walk past. We are basically listening to Josh read a book and judging it. Like, yeah, pretty much. Half yeah. half the time we are we are going. That's weird. We're not going. We're yeah. not going. Like, Woo! What a chapter. <laughs> Go, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> we love to judge. The only change to be seen in the night nursery is that between nine and six, the kennel is no longer there. When the children flew away, Mr. Darling felt in his bones that all the blame was his for having chained Nana up, and that from first to last, she had been wiser than he. Of course, as we have seen, he was quite a simple man. Indeed, he might have passed for a boy again if he had been able to take his baldness off. <laughs> his baldness Do you take mean it off hair back? Yeah. yeah I mean that would be the, the, the logical way of saying maybe it. he's pretending he's got a bald cap on maybe he's like rips that it off and just has these luscious locks underneath daddy warbucks <laughs> in year five or something, or something. Yeah. <laughs> but he had also a noble sense of justice and a lion's courage to do what seemed right to him and having thought the matter out with anxious care after the flight of the children, he went down on all fours and crawled into the kennel. <laughs> Yay! He's now, he's now in the doghouse. Yay! He's literally put himself in the doghouse. I honestly think I would have I would have really appreciated one chapter back at the Darling House because as much as he was like a, just an annoying blamange of a character, <laughs> it was all funny. <laughs> <laughs> Just a shapeless, squidgy, <laughs> unnecessary, beige coloured mare <laughs> of a person. <laughs> oh, that's, that's my new descriptor for people. Oh my God, that's great. It's such a blancmange. <laughs> All Mrs. Darling's dear invitations to him to come out, he replied sadly but firmly, No. My own one, this is the place for me. In the bitterness of his remorse, he swore that he would never leave the kennel until his children came back. Of course, this was a pity. But whatever Mr. Darling did, he had to do in excess. Otherwise, he soon gave up doing it. This is like a breakdown. He's had a breakdown. He's having he? a mental breakdown, yeah. 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 So you, you are aware that you could be there forever. Yeah, because like, <laughs> he could never come back. <laughs> yeah. 
Also, where's the dog living? Well, also, what about his job? Oh, there's a lot of things. They're to not in lockdown. Like his work are going to be like, Mister <laughs> Darling, where are you? He's like, I'm in the kettle. Still, you'd hope that he'd get some kind of um, some kind of holiday. Yeah, yeah, compassionate leave. But then this is Victorian times, and I don't think the social state has it, been yeah. uh, no, or minimum wage or working conditions have been negotiated yet because no one's unionized. I feel like if you didn't turn up to work in Victorian times, you probably got sacked. So, yeah, yeah. I was like, I th- I, I've, I'm just going to put a theory. I really, really hope, I really, 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 really hope that Nana has replaced him in the house and become <laughs> the man of the house. Just like reading he's, the paper, smoking she's a reading the paper. <laughs> Maybe Nana's going to work. There was never a more humble man than the once proud George Darling, as he sat in the kennel of an evening talking with his wife of their children and all their pretty ways. Very touching was his deference to Nana. He would not let her come into the kennel, but on all other matters he followed her wishes implicitly. Every morning the kennel was carried, with Mr Darling in it, to a cab. (laughs) This is getting so good. (laughs) Which conveyed him to his office, and he returned home in the same way at six. So he went to work in the kennel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's going to work... (laughs) Did it say where Mr. Darling works? Doesn't he work uh, at like a bank or in? I don't think it ever specified. I think probably just in didn't. the city. Yeah. I would just love it if he worked at a bank and you've just got someone coming in and they're like, I'd like to apply for a loan, please. I'm like, sure, that gentleman over there. And it's just the guy behind the desk in a kennel. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Something of the strength of character of the man will be seen if we remember how sensitive he was to the opinions of neighbours. This man, whose every movement now attracted surprised attention. Inwardly, he must have suffered torture, but he preserved a calm exterior, even when the young criticised his little home, and he always lifted his hat courteously to any lady who looked inside. (laughs) Good. At least he's still being a gent. That kind of behaviour would get you arrested these days. If you were out in public (laughs) in a little house, just... People be like, what is he doing in there? I think there? he'd be in bed uh, by now. Like the actual the actual hospital. Yeah, the, original bedlam. the actual bedlam, yeah. It may have been quixotic, but it was magnificent. Soon the inward meaning of it leaked out, and the great heart of the public was touched. Crowds followed the cab, cheering it lustily. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this, this is getting this is really best, weird. This is the this best is so scene. weird. He's got, he's got <laughs> Why did they leave this out the Disney program? I don't know. Seeing a, a dad living in a kennel would have been hilarious for children. Yeah. Charming girls scaled it to get his autograph. Interviews How big is appeared this house? in the <laughs> <laughs> It's I a kennel. I, I mean, sure. Interviews appeared in the better class of papers, and society invited him to dinner and added, <laughs> Do come in the kennel. No one in this room saw this happening. No! The joke is, is that all these years he's been trying to get accepted by society by acting really like posh and, oh, my kids need a nanny because what would the neighbours say? My kids need to go to this school because what would the neighbours say? I need to wear this tie in this way. What would the neighbours say? And yet here he is having a mental breakdown, living in a kennel, and all of society's like, yeah, come to our party, come to our party, come, you're accepted. <laughs> and it's like, all these years ago, he should have just acted like an absolute wally, and he probably would have been a lot more popular. Very true. 
On that eventful Thursday week, Mrs. Darling was in the night nursery, awaiting George's return home. A very sad-eyed woman. Now that we look at her closely and remember the gaiety of her in the old days, all gone now, just because she has lost her babes, I find I won't be able to say nasty things about her after all. If she was too fond of her rubbishy children, she couldn't help it. Look at her in her chair, where she's fallen asleep. The corner of her mouth, where one looks first, is almost withered up. Her hand moves restlessly on her breast, as if she had a pain there. Some like Peter best, and some like Wendy best, but I like her best. Suppose, to make her happy, we whisper to her in her sleep that the brats are coming back. The brats! <laughs> He's really like laying into it. It's like, dude, you were the one that wrote that they left home. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, your, you're it's, your fi- it's your fiction. And you're like, oh, pff, oh they're, they're awful. They're, they're awful, aren't they? It's like, well, you <laughs> if it they up, hadn't mate. left, there wouldn't have been a story. Yeah. It would have been True. rubbish. Hmm. <laughs> they are really within two miles of the window now and flying strong. But all we need, whisper, is that they are on their way. Let's. It is a pity we did. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I thought (laughs) it was good to have that. It said, let's say it. Let's all have a little whisper, shall we? (laughs) Whispering's my favourite. It is a pity we did, for she has started up calling their names, and there's no one in the room but Nana. Oh, Nana. I dreamt my dear ones had come back. Nana had filmy eyes, but all she could do was put her paw gently on her mistress's lap. And they were sitting together thus when the kennel was brought back. As Mr. Darling puts his head out to kiss his wife, we see that his face is more worn than of yore, but he has a softer expression. He gave his hat to Liza, who took it scornfully for she had no imagination and was quite incapable of understanding the motives of such a man. Outside, the crowd who had accompanied the cab home were still cheering, and he was naturally (laughs) not unmoved. (laughs) Woo! Dogman! Dogman! (laughs) (laughs) It's like that scene in... um, in uh, Notting Hill, you know, when he, the guy, when Reese Vans opens the door yeah. in his pants and yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. chicks love the grey. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Listen to them, he said. It's very gratifying. Lots of little boys, sneered Liza. There were several adults today, he assured her with a faint flush. But when she tossed her head, he had not a word of reproof for her. Social success had not spoilt him. It had made him sweeter. For some time he sat with his head out of the kennel, talking with Mrs Darling of this success, and pressing her hand reassuringly when she said she hoped his head would not be turned by it. But if I had been a weak man, he said, good heavens, if I had been a weak man, and George, she said timidly, You are as full of remorse as ever, aren't you? Full of remorse as ever, dearest. See my punishment, living in a kennel. But it is punishment, isn't it, George? You are sure you're not enjoying it? My love. 
you may be sure she begged his pardon, and then, feeling drowsy, he curled round in the kennel. "'Won't you play me to sleep?' he asked, on the nursery piano. And as she was crossing to the day nursery, he added thoughtlessly, "'And shut that window. I feel a draught. "'Oh, George, never ask me to do that. "'The window must always be left open for him. "'Always. Always.' Now it was his turn to beg her pardon, and she went into the day nursery and played, and soon he was asleep, and while he slept, Wendy and John and Michael flew into the room. Oh no, we have written it so, because that was the charming arrangement planned by them before we left the ship, but something must have happened since then, for it is not they who have flown in, it is Peter and Tinkerbell. Peter's first words tell all. Quick, Tink, he whispered. Close the window. Pirate. That's right. Now you and I must get away by the door. And when Wendy comes, she will think her mother has barred her out. And she will have to go back with me. Oh, now I understand. This scumbag. is a bit of a... I know. He's, he's shade. Uh, mm-hmm. I being a little bit I cheeky. didn't know that that happened. Well, that's mm. the whole point. We're never hearing a book for the first time. But a little double crosser. Yeah. Now I understand what had hitherto puzzled me. Why, when Peter had exterminated the pirates, he did not return to the island and leave Tink to escort the children to the mainland. This trick had been in his head all the time. Instead of feeling that he was behaving badly, he danced with glee. Then he peeped into the day nursery to see who was playing. He whispered to Tink, It's Wendy's mother. She's a pretty lady, but not so pretty as my mother. Her mouth is full of thimbles, but not so full as my mother's was. I'm just imagining a literal mouth full of thimbles. (laughs) 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 She's she's trying to record attempt. (laughs) (laughs) This is where she keeps them safe. Yeah. Of course, he knew nothing whatever about his mother, but he sometimes bragged about her. He did not know the tune, which was Home Sweet Home, but he knew it was saying, Come back, Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. And he cried exultantly, You will never see Wendy again, lady, for the window is barred. He peeped in again to see why the music had stopped, and now he saw that Mrs. Darling had laid her head on the box and that two tears were sitting in her eyes. She wants me to unbar the window, thought Peter. But I won't, not I. He peeped again, and the tears were still there. Or another two had taken their place. She's awfully fond of Wendy, he said to himself. He was angry with her now for not seeing why she could not have Wendy. The reason was so simple. I'm fond of her too. We can't both have her, lady. But the lady would not make the best of it, and he was unhappy. He ceased to look at her, but even then she would not let go of him. He skipped about and made funny faces, but when he stopped it was just as if she were inside him, knocking. Oh, all right, he said at last, and gulped. Then he unbarred the window. Come on, Tink he cried with a frightful sneer at the laws of nature. 
We don't want any silly mothers. And he flew away. Thus, Wendy and John and Michael found the window open for them after all, which, of course, was more than they deserved. They alighted on the floor, quite unashamed of themselves, and the youngest one had already forgotten his home. John, he said, looking around him rather doubtfully, I think I've been here before. Of course you have, you silly. There's your old bed. <laughs> so it is, Michael said, but not with much conviction. I say, cried John, the kennel! And he dashed across to look inside it. Perhaps Nana is inside it, Wendy said. But John whistled. Hello, he said. There's a man inside it. <laughs> it's father, exclaimed Wendy. Let me see, father. Michael begged eagerly, and he took a good look. He's not so big as the pirate I killed, he said, with such frank disappointment that I'm glad Mr. Darling was asleep. It would have been sad if those had been the first words he heard his little Michael say. <laughs> Is that Michael bragging that he could take his own dad? Yeah, he's... Uh, my dad... Yeah. Oh, my Let's dad. have a look. <laughs> I could take him. <laughs> Wendy and John had been taken aback somewhat at finding their father in the kennel. Surely, said John, like one who had lost faith in his memory, he used not to sleep in the kennel. John, said Wendy falteringly, perhaps we don't remember the old life as well as we thought we did. A chill fell upon them and serve them right. It's very careless of mother, said that young scoundrel John, not to be here when we come back. It was then that Mrs Darling began playing again. It's mother, cried Wendy, peeping. So it is, said John. Then are you not really our mother, Wendy? asked Michael, who was surely sleepy. Oh dear, exclaimed Wendy, with her first real twinge of remorse for having gone. It was quite time we came back. Let us creep in, John suggested, and put our hands over her eyes. But Wendy, who saw that they must break the joyous news more gently, had a better plan. Let us all slip into our beds and be there when she comes in, just as if we had never been away. And so when Mrs. Darling went back to the night nursery to see if her husband was asleep, all the beds were occupied. The children waited for her cry of joy, but it did not come. She saw them, but she did not believe they were there. You see, she saw them in their bed so often in her dreams that she thought this was just a dream hanging around her still. She sat down in the fire, no, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that stayed in. She just committed suicide. <laughs> she sat in the fire. Oh, they're not here like, well, again. this is a dream anyway. I'll off myself. <laughs> <laughs> she sat down in the chair by the fire, where in the old days she had nursed them. They could not understand this, and a cold fear fell upon all three of them. Mother, Wendy cried. That's Wendy, she said but she was still sure it was a dream. Mother! That's John, she said. Mother! cried Michael. He knew her now. That's Michael, she said. And she stretched out her arms for the three little selfish children they would never envelop again. 
Yes, they did. They went round Wendy and John and Michael, who had slipped out of bed and run to her. George! George! she cried when she could speak, and Mr Darling woke to share her bliss, and Nana came rushing in. There could not have been a lovelier sight, but there was none to see it except a little boy who was staring in at the window. He had had ecstasies innumerable that other children can never know, but he was looking through the window at the one joy from which he must be forever barred. End of chapter. Oh. See, that was actually a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I thought the return journey was just going to be like their journey there, where it was just going to be kind of mundane, trivial kind of things. But the picture of Mr. Darling living in a kennel (laughs) is just the best thing ever. It's the highlight of the novel. I want that on a T-shirt. I want that on a T-shirt. Yeah. You want Mr. Darling in a doghouse? Just a man like with a head sticking out of a doghouse. I want someone to (laughs) paint. I want a really good sort of like impression, not, not vocal impressionist, to draw the scene of a jubilant crowd and then <laughs> this dog with this pathetic blancmange of a man just out of it, just sort of like apologetically smiling at all of his newfound fans. Going, I'm not worthy. Like a palaquin, like, like Game of Thrones, Mother of Dragons through the crowd, but just yeah. a really pathetic excuse of a man instead in a doghouse. It's so good. <laughs> Right, looking at lit charts for this. Lit charts. Was that like the drum and bass version, or what? What was that? It was just lit. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm obviously not lit. So the first bit of summary here is actually about the battle that happened in the last chapter. And just about the boys assimilating into the pirate's life. And it says, Peter's feelings about Hook are morally neutral. He does not stumble over even the smallest trace of guilt when he becomes him. The battle between the boys and the pirates was not a battle of real good against real evil or complicated person against complicated person. For Peter, it was a game. And I think that's why... When we looked at this whole battle, do you remember we a, a few chapters ago we had this analysis of, of Peter and Hook and saying they're actually not that different. I wouldn't say that Peter embodies any kind of character that makes him you go he's the goody and he's the baddie. They're both killers. They're both dictators. They're both egomaniacs. So there's not a discernible thing in their characteristics that makes one good and one evil. It's just two warring people which is quite interesting for a fairy tale because normally you're very able to identify who the goody is and who the baddie is yeah and this kind of really highlights that actually what it was is it was just two adversaries rather than there being a good beat evil like there is in most superhero stories yeah and he's he's just as mischievous he's just as you know willing to to undermine or to or Mm. to like like that in that chapter just there, the fact that he comes back and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna yeah. knock the window." Like he's he's willing to do just as many, you know, mm-hmm. um, unsavory things as as Hook was. So. Well, Hook was kidnapping Wendy to make her his mother. 
Peter's doing essentially tempted to do the exact same thing. He is trying to kidnap these kids by barring them from going home. It, yeah, it, kind of, it shows that he doesn't actually give a toss about them. It gives him a toss no. about their own. The only person he seems to give a toss about is Tinkerbell. What, and himself? Yeah, oh yeah, he's their wholly selfish. <laughs> wholly selfish, yeah. Yeah, but it, it almost makes him a bit of an anti-hero. I suppose, like, if you were kind of trying to search for a Marvel equivalent, I'd say probably Deadpool or someone like that would be the equivalent of Peter Pan, where it's just very self-obsessed, very mischievous, kind of ends up doing the right thing, but kind of doesn't really get there in the right way. Yeah, which, as you say, is really unusual, particularly for, uh, for children's literature and particularly mm. at this time. Um, it's, it's interesting, though. It's more complex, isn't it, than just Definitely. having a, a cut-and-dry good versus evil. So, on the subject of Mr. Darling, it says here, In the beginning of the story, when the children were still at home, Mr. Darling seemed preoccupied with finances, respectability and ties. He was focused on surviving and appearing to be adult and was generally a little tone-deaf when it came to the subtleties of children's feelings. The children's absence seems to have sharpened whatever whatever adulthood had dulled. So I think they're trying to say that he's almost rediscovered his childhood a little bit and probably rediscovered what's important to him as well. I think he's kind of realised that actually these kids who he was always like, oh, I don't know if we can keep them, we might need to take them to the workhouse and drop them off or... As soon as they're actually gone, I think he's realised how important these kids were to him and how much he actually cares for them. He's probably grown the most of any character in the yes. entire thing. Kids haven't changed because they've not shown a poly- The first thing was like, I'm so sorry. Um, no. Yeah. And Jay and Barry probably needlessly, but still goes, they're selfish, they're selfish, they're selfish. But it would be nice to be able to draw your own conclusion about the fact that they didn't have any remorse. But yeah, mm. Uh, Mr. Darling's gone from being, as I described before, to being sort of quite a morally robust person and one mm. of the strongest. But what's characters. interesting is that even his wife doubts the changing him by saying, "Like you're not enjoying this, are you? Like you're not you're not just doing this house thing because you've seen the really positive reaction you're getting from people that you meet." And I just love that her initial thought is he's not keeping this up because he's sad or because he blames himself. He's just keeping it up because he's realized it makes him friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that. She's just questioning him on that. So it was talking about how, you know, how Peter was saying, or the narrator was saying that Peter was looking on a scene to which he was barred when the family. Yeah. Came back together again. The only thing he can't enjoy. Yeah. Mm. And it says here, We might think that first that Peter is barred from this sort of happy familial scene simply because he has no family. But it is not the circumstances that are barred to him in the quote. It is the joy itself. One must love a person immensely to experience it. And Peter as a selfish, pure child can never feel that kind of love. So it's basically saying he's barred from that kind of scene because he is unable to love others to the depth that is required in order to experience the happiness of that, that relationship. Yeah. Well, that's a, that, that kind of ties in nearly to what we were talking about a, a few moments ago. Um, mm. that's, that's the ultimate fact. You can, you can have as much fun as you want, but maybe that's a simplistic thing, which probably, I don't know, I, don't, I can't remember if it, descri- it described him, but maybe it did sort of tell of a sort of deep inner sadness that is there somewhere. 
that he's trying mm. to fill. That's why he brought Wendy um, over in yeah. the first place. He's trying to fill it with adventures and something, but ultimately he has got that sort of void. Yeah, because I think it's like he's filled his life with relationships of camaraderie. He's got all these kind of friends who are the same age as him, who he's the leader of, and it's all very fun. But there's not really that much depth or significance to those relationships. They're all make-believe. It's all based on pretend. It's all based on just, oh, let's just go and have a laugh, which is very superficial. So it's obviously just showing that, yeah, because he has the Lost Boys but has no kind of intense family-orientated relationships, that, yeah, there is this sadness to him and this kind of which maybe explains also just his selfishness and the fact that he is so inward because there's just no one he's had around him to bring himself out of that and but to make him sort of care about someone else as much as he cares about himself which then becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it because the more inward the more selfish the more egotistical yeah. the less likely you are to be able to engage to in a that. relationship like that yeah definitely so where are we going next week then? Because the kids are home. So I, I would have thought that that would have been it, wrapped up, done. So I'm not quite sure. Are you saying, Matt, that this is a really good time to uh, introduce our new and most favourite feature? <laughs> Guess what the next chapter's called? <laughs> da na na <laughs> Yeah, no, great. Um, okay. It's got, a, gonna... it's got a very... I'll, I'll give you the clue. The clue is always, you know, useful. Go on. It's got a very... Epilogue feel. After Neverland. Mm. I'm going to go for like something like the kids grown up. Oh, that's the closest I, we've had with a guess. Really? I'm, I'm imagining, I'm imagining them going to like hook territory where mm-hmm. Peter <laughs> comes back later once they've grown up a bit. That that's where I'm putting my money. Well, I mean, you definitely. If we were, if this were a points awarding game, you would probably yeah. get this week's point. Okay. Uh, chapter well, what, se- what's the title then? Chapter seventeen is entitled "When Wendy Grew Up." Oh, okay. So I wasn't too far off. When, I just focused on. I want to have boobies. Yeah, it's definitely groupies, isn't it? But they changed it. <laughs> Is it? I thought it was boobies. No, I think it is groupies, but because it sounded like boobies, they used to just sing boobies live because it was funnier. Yeah. So (laughs) when Wendy grew up is where we're going next week. So maybe we're going to jump 10 years into the future. Maybe Wendy has her own kids. Maybe Maybe. Mr. and Mrs. Darling are dead and the grandchildren are around. I don't know. Is that too morbid to kind of go that far? This is a step towards Hook, isn't it now? Yeah, we're going to find Wendy, who's going to be like Maggie Smith age, (laughs) which would actually be quite fun, to be honest. I would enjoy that. Round two. It would explain where they got the idea for Hook from. It would, it would. Awesome. Well, if you've got any comments or opinions on this chapter, you can contact us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Or any Twitter-based pearls of wisdom. Our handle is at lazybookclubpod. Or if there's anything that you feel is particularly grammable, uh, let <laughs> us know on Instagram at LazyBookClubPod. We also now have the anchor feature where you can send us a voice message. So please do keep those coming in. And we will see you next week for Wendy all growing up. I've forgotten the title again. You're so rubbish. <laughs> this is the last thing people hear. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 17, When Wendy Grew Up. That's the one. Bye.